And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? This is Andrew Morgans, your host uh, here at Startup Hustle, founder of Marknology. Um, had some technical di- difficulties with our intro. I'm trying to show off the Startup Hustle TV show, um, and it's not one to cooperate, but uh we're still here we got good sound good audio i think we're going to cover some really fun stuff today with today's guest but before we get started um let's give a shout out to our sponsor uh fullscale.io helping you build software teams quickly and affordably if you're looking to scale out your software team or or fill some holes fullscale.io is the place to start your search um you won't be disappointed welcome to the show roman uh really nice to have you on the show you're coming through um recommendation of a close friend and colleague in my space jason um you know i'm really excited to get to know you and kind of hear about this space that you're pioneering a little bit and, and dig into the details welcome to the show yeah thanks a lot man i appreciate it excited to be here excited to chat today yeah we were just chatting a little bit before the show about you know backgrounds and things like that and um honestly i'd like to get to know a little bit more like um you know let's talk about uh you know before you started this business and became an entrepreneur like you know what were you into what were you focused like what kind of brought you here uh you know more detail the better yeah sure so i'm not going to start too far back um but i i i'm in the legal tech space particularly in the immigration law space Um, But before this, I did study immigration law. I was a lawyer. Um, I'm from New York City. I was born actually in the Ukraine, but moved to New York, Uh, went to school in New York my whole life, went to law school in Brooklyn at Brooklyn Law School, really kind of fell into um, immigration kind of by accident. I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. I studied finance in college, like always wanted. I worked in, I interned in investment banks, got a job at a corporate immigration firm. So for folks who are listening who might not know what that is. Um, large well, large and small companies who hire individuals who are born overseas on different types of visas typically work with an immigration lawyer to help get those folks, you know, their work visa, their status, et cetera, uh, their green card as a lot of people here, citizenship eventually. And I got a job at a big corporate immigration law firm. And I thought, all right, it's not quite, you know, like the cool financial law, like big, you know, white shoe kind of thing you see on TV. It's not that. Um, but it's sort of that just with this weird immigration angle. Um, and through that started to explore my own immigration story. And, you know, you and I, before we went live, chatted a little bit about your kind of early life you know, living in Russia and living around Africa. I mean, there's such a, there's so much uh, you know, history there with, with our own lives. I really fell into the immigration space, connected with it as an immigrant myself, came here when I was three, but still went through that whole process. Um, and then stuck it, stuck with it, right? I got super involved in the space, took every class. You know, in law school, you do these sort of clinics where you are like a quote unquote student attorney um, and graduated, graduated and got a job in the immigration space. I was working with tech companies, mostly based out of the Silicon Valley area and other companies too, helping them bring super talented, you know, business data analysts and software engineers and you name it into the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
I guess being who I am, which I didn't really realize until that time, I had more questions and was more interested in like the business of the law firm. And I was always thinking to myself, oh, this would be a cool marketing tactic or like, why isn't this more automated? This process sucks, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, kind of the gear started turning in my head and I ultimately came up with the seeds of an idea for what is my company now, Laborless, which um, I love it. Yeah, it uh, it automates H-1B visa compliance, super niche, but maybe for some of your listeners or viewers, they might be aware of, of that of that visa type. Yeah, and, and like kind of fell into it. And um, I practiced immigration law in the D.C. area. When I left the practice, I moved back to New York and I was kind of like, should I keep working in immigration? Should I just, I don't know, try something else? I got a job at a te- got a job offer at a tech company and I was also interviewing at immigration law firms. And I was like, what do I do? And I said, you know what? Screw it. I got the offer from the people that are clearly, they see some value in me. The immigration lawyers were stringing me along. And this tech company was like, we love it. We love what you're about, your energy. And I said, let's do it. You know, YOLO, right? Mm-hmm. And so I took the job and and it turned out to be absolutely the best decision of my life. Because even though I spent three years in law school and a lot of money, not to mention, of course, college before then, and I practiced for about a year and a half. So I didn't even spend as much time working in the field I had studied for as I spent studying to prepare for that work. Relatable. You know? Um, yeah, like a lot of people go through that. and But every time it's scary to, to mm-hmm. make a decision. And, um, but it ended up being an amazing opportunity. And I, and I learned a lot about what it means to work at a big tech company. I started consulting, you know, just to like the side hustle kind of thing on the side for startups. Like, dude, literally I got... I got my job in this te- at this tech company. I was an in-house consultant, if you will. It was a big company. And we were like the internal team that goes around and fixes things. Okay. Um, which was super cool. I learned Lean, Lean Six Sigma. I learned like, you know, product management, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So that was March. In June, I was I started going out to friends being like, hey, I'm a consultant. I didn't, I didn't really know much, but I had three months of this experience. I was already a lawyer and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go out there. Got a job with a startup just for free, just to work there. So now I have, I'm working at this big company learning project management, product management, a little bit of, you know, all that kind of stuff at at a high level. At the same time, I came in at the ground floor at a startup and I was learning what it means to build something with no infrastructure, no money, no, you know, very little marketing, et cetera. So I was getting this combination of experience at the same time, my own idea from back when I was practicing was percolate percolating. And then about two to three years into this job, I, into my full-time tech job, I was like, all right, I think I'm good. I think I know what to do in order to launch this thing. So I left, that was in 2017. And it's crazy to think that I haven't looked back. I haven't looked back. Yeah. I love that. Um, I was looking at your site and I've got it pulled up on the screen for anyone that's like, you know, watching or, or, or tuning in later, um, laborless.io. Uh, I couldn't understand all the acronyms. Right. I'm not going to lie to you. I know that it's tailored for people looking for specific things. So it's like, you know, it's going to find them. But for me, um, you know, it's having to dig in to, you know, kind of understand what that's about. Um, and I think that my my experience is is very similar in regards to, I went to school for computer science, networking and security. Um, I got a job at MasterCard Global, was making more money than I ever had. Hated it because I had been touring, playing music for five years before that while going through school. And that was really my passion. Um, Was just sitting around watching stuff break. And my soul was dying, honestly. 
um, you know, instead of creating things, I was like waiting on stuff to break and then go and fixing it like a maintenance person at a high level. And um, I hated it. I was like, if this is IT, I'm done. I'm out. And uh, I took a chance at a startup. I uh, moved to Florida for that. It was I was employee number three. And, um, you know, we we're just doing e-commerce car parts like nine, 10 years ago, putting car parts online. Um, in that experience, I like saw what we do with little and like, you know, how to really grow something with e-commerce. Like it's a matter of like adding it and then maybe you're getting a sale in the next 15 minutes. It can be kind of crazy, especially before there was as much competition. Um, and then from there, I moved to Kansas City and uh, started working as an e-commerce manager. Uh, so a bit bigger, like, you know, 350 people or so um, and was able to see from inside a company um, what brands or companies need uh, when it comes to Amazon and e-commerce and how they struggle, you know, across these different things, whether it was like breakdowns in communication or this team not believing in this team and not working together or map pricing or resellers or the salespeople. But if I didn't have that experience, Marknology, um, you know, wouldn't be what it is today. It was legitimately a little bit of the startup a year there and two years at, at more of a corporate job. Um, and then I felt equipped, you know, to be like, OK, I have a problem that needs solved. And I feel like I got the tools, not that I felt competent to do it, so to speak, but there was a line in the sand and I leaped, you know, so I think that's very relatable. And, um, you know, something I've been doing later in life um, in my 30s probably has been, um, you know, going back through some of those times in my past where um, I didn't really give them as much value. They were just like times or just paychecks or whatever. And being like, what did I learn at this job that I can now use? Um, you know, my day to day. And it's, it's been um, a good journey revisiting all those things with more of a positive light. You know, I will say that one way that I've been able to do that is through interviews and not necessarily, you know, I'm really honored to be on your podcast. If you can get on a podcast, amazing, but even talking to an alum from your school, if you can do like mentorship for students or something, a lot of them are always just like, I have nothing this, I just want to learn about you. And you end up recounting your life and sometimes these random memories from different parts of your life where, like you said, it was at that time, it felt like a paycheck, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And then as you're recalling, you're like, huh, there was like a lesson I learned or there was this experience or this was this person. So I guess for maybe for anybody listening, if this is useful, um, a really nice way to revisit because no one's I'm not going to be like, man, it's Friday afternoon. I can go out with my friends or um, let me just grab a beer and revisit the <laughs> last my last job. Like no one's doing that. But it is a really good exercise. And so one way to force yourself, it's kind of a win-win. One way to force yourself to revisit is to actually mentor somebody who is behind you in any way, shape, or form um, and like utilize your experience. And through that, you kind of explore yourself too. So yeah, I, I totally resonate with, with, your, with what you just shared. No, you nailed that. And, uh, you know, I don't think that I had that understanding whenever I got into mentorship because I have a mentor and I, I mentor at uh, UMKC, which is a local university here um, in Kansas City. And I love it. I love it because I'm able to give back. Um, there's not a paycheck or a money exchange of energy in between. And it's just honestly like, what can I bring to help them? besides money, besides, you know, whatever. It's literally just like my advice or my stories or my guidance. And in doing so, um, it's helped me tremendously. I'm sure it's helped you with the podcast too. I mean, just, you know, you're like speaking, you're, you're sharing, you're, yeah, it's super cool. I love the experience. I also, just to, on that note, 
Um, I think a lot of times, and sometimes this goes for folks who are deep in their career, people don't feel, people feel like imposter syndrome, you know, what can I possibly share to, for, you know, to anybody I, you know, I might know a little, but I don't know enough. Like people think they have to be, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, I don't know, whatever, Mm -hmm. like, right. But the reality is actually the closer you are in terms of how far ahead you are to the person you're mentoring in some sense, the more valuable you can be. If you're 70 steps ahead of like a college student, you're going to give them super high level advice. Like, you know, follow your dreams, follow your passions, really great, but not very actionable. If you're just two years ahead of a college student and you just went through the pain of finding that first job or, you know, launching that social media brand or opening up that e-commerce store, you could be like, Hey, wait, I just did this like six months ago. Here's exactly what you need to do. And that would be super valuable to them. So anyway, the point is, never too early to start mentoring. There's always somebody who you know a little bit more than. That was great insight. A great way to think about mentoring someone closer to your age. I've never put it in that light. And I, um, that's awesome. I'm going to hold on to that. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to reuse that. Okay. So <laughs> you got um, you it's know. live on air. You've got the license. I, I allow it. <laughs> so you went from being, going to school for corporate law, immigration law and like i'll be honest like two of my biggest passions are are children and and immigrants in this country um i'm not an immigrant i'm obviously white as you can see in that way and i'm american um but i grew up around immigrants um or i grew up around uh you know people that had less um, opportunities than us and know what that is like to come back to america after growing up somewhere else and what it feels like to go to high school and you know, I have a lot of similarities. And um, so I have a lot of passion around this. And and my team at Marknology does too. I work with my sisters. Um, they've worked at refugee camps here in Florida, um, all kinds of stuff, you know, creating farms for immigrants um, to be able to like provide their own meals even here in the US. Um, so some really cool stuff and it's really close to our heart. So it's a, you know, it's a fun subject and one that I can understand why you got you know, tied to it and, and felt um, reconnected to it. But we haven't talked about I don't and maybe it just passed over. But, um, you know, you don't just just all of a sudden go to school for law and then have tech skills in regards to like coding and programming. When, when did that come in? Yeah, so I did not build my platform. Um, I have a co founder and CTO. So it's one of those things that I outsourced. But when I was working at the tech company, again, I was sort of this like internal consultant. Um, I took, uh, I was certified as for lead six Sigma. I mean, I got like the first level, but it's still, it was still a really solid foundation. I worked with a lot of product and project managers and technology teams and like user experience design teams. So I was sitting at a high level doing a lot of my own research. The context also is that when I was a kid, I used to love building websites. I mean, I was like 12, you know, on the internet, mm-hmm. like was, I kind of, I, if I pursued it, I probably would have been like you and actually take, you know, taking my, my, my college education there but by the time i hit puberty and i was 13 i was like i want to go hang out with girls and go skateboarding and i just dropped the nerds weren't cool yet i know damn it i was like i would have rather done that than gone to law school not that i regret my life but still you know there's there's a big demand let's just say there's a big demand for for tech skills Um, but you know that that foundation was always there and i always i kind of understood of course how language computer languages work and things like that even though i only really learned html and maybe a little bit of javascript or Java and Java. Um, so, but in terms of your question around how I kind of parlayed that little bit, but not much experience into starting a company, I knew enough to understand how a technology company can run 
um, because what I did at my company was we took processes, we mapped them out, and then we figured out how with internal tools or external tools, to, we can potentially automate those processes. So like I got everything up until learning, knowing how to build it. So effectively, when I came up with my idea, I was like, all right, there's something here. As I got more and more informed about the process of building a technology solution, if you will, I um, started to really like material, like the, the, the work product materialized. So I turned it into rules and I turned it into like kind of if then statements. I mean, not fully, but just mm -hmm. logically, like if I upload this document, then it should go into this screen like that. Right. Um, and then I turned it into a workflow, into kind of a diagram. I used, I think it was charts.io, just a plug for that free Google plugin. Super great. Um, if you don't have Microsoft Visio, which most normal people don't have. Um, so I used that. And then that was like the end of my skill set. And then I was like, I had my little stuff and I went shopping around effectively for, for a CTO. And, you know, you ask around and you ask your friends. And I was really lucky. A friend of a friend who I kind of came, came to know a little bit was a developer, one of those guys who like love side projects. And now four years later, we've been working together and he's really like built out an awesome, awesome platform and has become a little bit of an immigration law expert myself. So I did not have those tech skills, but I had enough of a product development skill set to like, confidence. yeah. And of course the confidence to say, okay, this idea makes sense. Um, and then like technically just literally how to use the squares and triangles and, you know, rectangles in, in Visio to build something that I can give to a developer, explain a little bit to them and say, what do you think? What do you see in your head? And that person sees screens and code and starts kind of visualizing it. And you're like, all right, this is a good partnership. Let's try it out. You learned, you learned how to be able to communicate to a techie. Totally. Techie. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that's something I was talking to a friend and giving credit to myself as well. You know, I was like, I was able to jump into e-commerce or Amazon or take on some of these problems that other people are overwhelmed by, like even learning Instagram or learning different things like that. You know, these, these softwares and technologies continue to come out and you have to continue to learn each, each one. And, um, you know, some dads worked on cars with their sons, you know, or like projects like that. And my dad was like, let's build this computer. And so, you know, I, I was uh, fortunate it's not that I am in the computer hardware space or anything that relates to that, uh, but I had a confidence around computers that they weren't overwhelming to me. And that alone, I think, is what gave me confidence to move into areas. And much like you, I'm I'm a creator. I'm 100% a creator. I'm creative, but I'm more of like a curator um, mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, we need this and we need this and we need this. And whether it's screenshots, whether it's examples, whether it's mood boards, like, you know, I definitely create along with um you know other people and um i think some people that just doesn't even pop into their mind that like you know you can get someone to help you build what you need to build um you just yeah. need to be able to at least paint the picture for them and um that's a way of creating as well hey man uh there's a huge i think there's a huge challenge with people to outsource they either think they have to do everything themselves but then of course if that's the case they're never going to be perfect at everything right? Because you, you're not going to be great at everything. And if you, if, if your mindset is I have to do it all myself and I have to be perfect at everything, you're never going to actually execute because those things will never both be the true at any given time. Right. So if you are figure out what you're really good, at, I mean, this is not a new advice, but to figure out what you're really good at and then be open to and willing to accept help from other people. That's complementary to your skill set. 
and then together you can like really take off and, and build stuff. But yeah, I feel like it's that whole thing of people saying like, no, I don't, you know, I don't want to get anybody to help me. Maybe they don't trust someone and whatever it is. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Human yeah. beings, man. Yeah. Like, unless you're going to, I mean, I, I will say that I kind of learned the lesson or that principle. I'll say the principle um, when I became an expert at something myself. And so because I understood that like Amazon, you know, we're going to talk about Amazon being an expert at Amazon. It was like, I then realized that there can be other people that are experts at lots of things and we can like collaborate and I can, you know, we can trade and I don't want to be an expert at code. I don't want to be an expert at social media. I don't want to be an expert at like all of those things. I like solving problems. That's my, that's what I like, you know, so it's moving on to the next one. That's fulfilling for me. Um, but it, I didn't have that like change in perspective until I, mastered something myself well let me ask you this when you realized that you mastered amazon leading up to that how much of your time were you spending in and around amazon whatever that means to you a hundred hours a week all right so if that's true right and if for every other person for them to master something they have to spend a hundred hours a week in that thing how is it possible to be an expert in any other literally any other thing like i'm not i'm not even watching tv shows like i want to be an expert in some TV, I can't even watch a TV show. So how is it possible for me to be an expert in both like Amazon and building a website and coding a mobile app? It's impossible. So I, to your point, once you realize like, oh crap, I'm an expert, but I realize that I haven't had time to do anything else up until this point is when you realize that there's somebody out there who's been spending this amount of time on the thing that I need. They're also an expert. They don't know the thing that I do because I was spending my time doing it together. Boom. You've got you know, some is greater than its parts. A hundred percent. And it's really just that perspective, um, you know, that shift at one point, it was like, look, if I'm going to continue to be an expert at Amazon, uh, I'm going to need a team and I need individuals that are focused on each of these individual areas because there's expertise within those individual areas. And like, it's evolving every single day and I can't keep up. And that was when I decided to like build an agency at Marknology versus being a high-end consultant or whatever was like, no, I have mastered this. I don't want to continue to master it for 20 years. I want to build something that can continue to grow from people that absolutely love these different areas and hire for that. Um, you know, whether it's a coach, whether it's team members at Marknology, whether it's a, a permanent outsourced, you know, contractor that's always part of our team, which is a lot of what we do um, around anything not Amazon. So, you know, web or the different things we have in our business that we still need, um, you know, we're finding partners much like fullscale.io. I'm going to give them a plug. They're our sponsor for today's show, but they, you know, they solve in the same way. It's, um, you know, we don't have an IT department. We don't have, you know, a JavaScript coder. We don't have this or that. Um, you know, you plug them in and they are experts and they know everything that they're doing. There's no need for you to take your guy that's like your IT guy and have him learn, you know, this new code or have him learn Amazon or whatever it might be. Um, you know, there's partners out there. And I do think that that's, it can be overwhelming when you're trying to find that, but that's where like, you know, your network and um, referrals go so far. Like, you know, for me, getting a word of mouth referral from someone that I trust already is huge because that might save me two or three, you know, Jane Doe's ahead of that, you know, trying to trying to work through the trial and error process. So um, went down a little bit of a rabbit hole with that one. But I think it's just like it's killer mindset for anyone that's listening. This is a show by founders for founders yeah. on 
you know, how to get things done really. And that's, you know, to me, that was either you needed to be doing a hobby where you were probably learning code or, um, you know, you had a picture to paint and hired and hired it done. I've seen it done so many different ways. You know, I used to trade office space to get the services I need when I couldn't afford them when I was trying to build my agency. And I had, I got a good lease on a place that had five offices. I only needed one, two. So I had three rooms to go. And I was like, what other startups or entrepreneurs are trying to get started where I can give them free office space. Mm. And they give me, you know, 10 hours a month on video or 10 hours a month on something else. Um, there's so many ways to get it done when, when you're like, you've got a vision, you know, that's brilliant. Where, uh, sorry to flip the script a little bit, but where, where was this office space located? Cause I'm in New York city. I'm just like, man, if I could, there's no way. <laughs> yeah. I'm in Kansas city, Missouri. Um, you know, and for like, you know, a lot of people on the coast don't, you know, they hear about Kansas city, we're sports and different things. And, um, we have a lot of history here, you know, one of the older cities in the U S um, but we're, we're kind of like the next Silicon Valley as well. We, we were the first to get Google fiber. Um, our con like our downtown, at least pre pandemic was like 98% capacity. Like we're growing, we're booming a lot of tech companies coming out here because it's so much more affordable. They can get fast internet, cheap retail. Um, you know, so I was downtown or in the area right outside called the crossroads, which is very much downtown, you know, for. 1200 a month, I think, uh, you know, for an office space like that. And I definitely got hooked up because the lady that was the primary landlord, which had the bigger building, I was helping her on Amazon and uh, working with her as a client. So she said, Hey, you're going to be working on my stuff anyway. Like, you know, I'd rather have a tenant next door that like, you know, we know and trust instead of just moving someone random in. So, and I was like, I'm going to use what's been given to me, you know, to, um, you know, think a little bit more, uh, maybe like, you know, uh, African culture mindset, which is, you know, which is like, everyone's a tribe, everyone works together. Um, you know, everyone's, they make everything work. You can just make it work. You got to get outside the box a little bit. And, um, you don't always have to have money to hire it out either. Yep. You know, you can, uh, you can trade, you can trade I, services and I, stuff. I love that barter mindset in 2021. Right. I mean, they, these are the biggest apps blowing up are these like timeshare, Airbnb, yep. Uber, um, all this kind of stuff where we're coming back to community and coming back to sharing and being efficient and economical and stuff. And um, you can you can take those aspects into your business as well. Amen. Let's talk. Okay, let's talk about what's next after that. Okay, so yeah. you, um, you found a good CTO, uh, which is crazy that the very first one you found is the one you're still with, because okay. that doesn't always happen that way. So if uh, I can, if I can, and I don't, this might be, you know, I, I, I recognize that I'm biased, and I have, I have uh, availability bias, if you will. But the thing that I think I've, I've sort of abstracted from this was that this wasn't a complete stranger, but it also wasn't a close friend. And so we had like, we had mutual friends that we were connected to. Um, so I think it was this perfect level of accountability and friendship where we were respectful to each other. Um, but also we're not like petty because we've been friends for the past 20 years. It was actually perfect. So maybe one thing that I would, I'd be curious if I have the opportunity to build another company or, or more, I want to like try getting a total stranger or like a really close friend or something like that, or maybe see what other people do. I'm curious if there's something formulaic there of like, get someone that's like, a second or third connection to you um, because that little amount of they have uh, a, br a bridge that they there might yeah. be a reason they don't want to burn it yep, you know and exactly. that allows them to just commit a little bit harder um, yeah. instead of just walking away and also but also be respectful and not be like bro like you know like for my 20 years ago like shut up stupid like we wouldn't do that because we're not 
friends since kindergarten. So right. anyway, just a thought there. But yeah, so to answer your question, you know, next steps after we, you know, yeah, I had the CTO, we started working on it. I was still working full time. I hadn't left yet. We were, we were already kind of starting to plan it out. I began to leverage my network of immigration lawyers that I knew and just calling them up and saying, hey, can I just walk you through my idea and see if it makes sense to you? Would you even use it? Um, and- this is great. This is where I was going with this. I wanted to kind of know how lawyers reacted to your idea of innovation. So, well, I want to say that maybe this is unique to lawyers, but probably not. The idea of innovation was really well received. I mean, oh yeah, we need this. This process is like inefficient. It's paper. There's a lot of paperwork, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I took that. It gave me enough confidence to continue building and for both of us to continue spending the time. I'll fast forward a little bit. Believe it or not, when we launched and I hit up all those law firms that gave us all that great feedback, none of them were interested in even beta testing. Like they Mm. checked it out. Maybe I shared my screen, but I don't even think they were interested in like even checking it out. And so it was a really interesting, difficult time in a sense, because we were both hyped that we freaking built a thing that you can like log into and use, you know, like, wow, it came to life. But at the same time, all these people who've been giving us this moral support and in some cases, you know, actionable feedback and advice were all of a sudden like, now we're not interested. Um, So that was a really fascinating experience. We had to really quickly kind of figure out, well, should we even be going after lawyers you know, they gave us the feedback, but if they're not going to be the right user, maybe we should go after like their clients. Um, and then we sort of rolled out this another another strategy. And for the first nine months after we launched, and mind you, actually, I already left my job at this point. So it wasn't like I was still working, waiting for that first client check to come in. I left probably too early, but whatever. I got to travel a bit. So that was cool. Um, but, you know, for nine, I think the first nine months after we launched, we didn't get a, we didn't get our first client, like to the point where I was, I applied for grad school. And I was like, well, I built a thing. So that's cool for grad school. And I yeah. got in, I got into grad school and I was like going back and forth with them. And then sort of, we got our first client and I was like, oh shit, this is real now. Someone's exchanging their money for our technology services. This is a real company. Um, and so that's kind of when I scrapped every other idea and was like, right, I'm going in. Yeah, I'm going. I mean, I was already in, but I was starting to like get a little discouraged, honestly, you know? Yeah. So, I, that's very relatable, I think, to anyone listening. Um, you know, it's gone both ways. Like in some ways, um, you know, okay, like this is a silly, sto- silly story, but to relate it, and um, I like people getting to know a little bit about, um, you know, some of my background as well. And Landlocked is a company I own, an apparel company here in Kansas City, um, Kansas City Forward Fashion. Um, you know, I have big goals for it. We're not there yet, but it's been about around five or six years. Um, so we have an equality collection. We have a Kansas City collection, different things like that. Well, it was around the same time I was doing Marknology and learning like Amazon freelancing on the side. I launched, I had this idea. I would, I had smoked a little and had been drinking a little uh, at a Chiefs game. And it was the first game I had been to at a tailgate that it was the Chiefs and the Royals playing in the same parking lot because the, the, the Royals had made it into the playoffs, which meant they made it into football season. And um, Kansas City has a huge tailgating culture. And um, so we literally had both parking lots filled, people for the Chiefs and people for the Royals. And uh, I saw these people wearing like dual uh, blue and red, 
like a coat for the Chiefs and a shirt underneath it for the Royals or whatever. And I was like, I'm just going to come up with this like shirt or jacket or something that's like a hybrid. It's like mixing both teams and it's just mm-hmm. about Kansas City or whatever. And it's been done now. I feel like it was novel when I thought of it. Um, and, you know, I was like, OK, I got this idea. I had been in band, so I had like knew some T-shirt designer guys. And I was like, hey, guys, I got this design. Like I'm picturing these pennants and it says Kansas City and it's like in the font. But like it doesn't say anything about Chiefs or Royals. It's just got it kind of got like a, a similar font and color scheme. I was I had already researched them to like research trademarks and things like that. So we'd stay out of trouble. And um, I ran it by my friends and like my probably like 10 close friends. I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship at the time, which is like, don't run your ideas by them sometimes. Uh, And uh, eight out of 10 of them were like, nah, don't do it. Well, long story short, I did it anyway, because that's who I am, launched it. And uh, an ESPN blog retweeted it. And I sold like several hundred shirts, like in my my first, second week or something. And I didn't even, I didn't even have a Twitter account. I got it just to like, learn how to tweet about my stuff. And um, so it was like, boom, the idea was going fast forward. So there was like negativity at the beginning, which is kind of the opposite of your support at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, in some ways. But then fast forward, there's been so many people, uh, friends, whoever that have been like, Oh, my God, landlocked, it's great, like it on Instagram, you know, whatever, um, have never bought a single thing. You know, so, you know, there's so much if you're like tying in how you feel about your project to how other people either react to it or you need to pay attention to how they're reacting because that's the market. Right. But um, don't you know, don't I think there's a lesson in that to not hang on too much to, you know, uh, immediate feedback or validation from from people, whether it's friends or, or clients or whatever, because it doesn't mean you don't have a great idea. Yeah, um, I, I was going to say, especially about the idea, clients are invaluable in terms of iteration. I mean, maybe for a t-shirt, it's a bit different, although they could say like, oh, what if you do like tweak this color or tweak that thing? But the concept, I mean, you don't need a million people to tell you a concept is good. If you get that a concept is good, a lot of times people, I mean, to use the cliched example, Airbnb, everybody shat on the idea. I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word, but everybody really kind of didn't like yeah. the idea. But the reality is it was a great idea. Just it was about execution. So they just had to keep pushing forward. So I, I, I like the idea you had. It's a no brainer. Brilliant idea. You see people already doing it. You're just combining it into into two. Who cares if your friends are saying no, they don't. Right. And that one wasn't like a big investment. Yeah. I hadn't like made a partnership and hired anyone. But it's a silly example of like didn't have support. Then I'm getting massive support because it like started taking off. And then like, did they really support me? Why was I worried about their opinions anyway? Yeah. Right. And they haven't even spent $30 on, on, on an item or something. So it was like, um, you know, I found strangers supporting me more than like, you know, some of those people. And, um, those are the things that you just pay attention to really early, like in the, in the process, like every, every like on Instagram or like your post is like important to you Mm -hmm. and you know, the comments. And um, I still feel that way about, you know, engaging with my customer base, but I just remember like I was so up and down, um, you know, in the early days with what kind of feedback I was getting from other people. I also, I like your point about, you know, friends and validate sometimes even family. I think in the beginning, Unless you or your friends, and this is what I've noticed from sort of my own life, unless your friends and or family have themselves built something, they don't get how important it is to share your post or to retweet it or something like that. 
but for you as the creator, when you ask them to, and they like, don't do it right away or whatever, you're just, it, it's so angering, I think. And I've had to really like train myself and it's like, no, these people do really genuinely care about me. Um, they just like to them tweeting or Facebook or whatever, it's just like a fun update about their baby or their dogs. They're like, yeah, I know you're, it sounds important, but I'm not going to share your thing. But to you, it's your business. Yeah. Um, it's word so of mouth. It's, it's word of it, mouth. So I would, I would just say for folks out there, I mean, again, who's listening and thinking about like if they're launching something or if you're, if you're putting anything out or you're, you recently did, ask your family and friends for support, but don't hold it against them if they don't exactly respond the way you want them to. Um, it's, they still love you. They still care about you. It's just that if they don't have the understanding of building their own company, it's really hard to support someone if you don't fully empathize with their situation. And I'll piggyback on that. I think a way that you can help is to give them options of ways to support you. Yeah. Right. So maybe they hate social media. Um, you know, there's something else they can do. They can show up at a trade show and help you run the booth or, you know, help you prep for it or, you know, give them some other options besides the one that you're like focused on. Um, because, uh, you know, you'd be surprised a lot of them do want to help. Um, they just don't always know how, and they don't know what's important to you. So, you know, communicate that, <laughs> so, you know, it's the number one thing I've been learning is just like, you know, if you have something that you need, um, you know, don't assume they know that how important that is to you and, and either let them know how important it is or, or let them know how they can help. And also let them know how that thing does help. So for example, my main platform is LinkedIn. And so I would literally message my friends when I would post an article or a post and I would say, Hey, here's my, I wrote this article about the industry. Can you please like it? I know this is a small thing to do, but the like your like gets me in front of a lot more people. And I know it's doesn't, it might be meaningless to you, but the more likes I get, the better it is. And these are not social, social media savvy individuals. So explaining why that like or share or comment helps um, was really helpful. And also I found that sometimes they're like, Oh, well, what if the thing I say is stupid? So then I have to be like, it's okay. Like, you know, me, I know you, I'm not trying to get an actual, um, you know, I'm not trying to get a client out of you. I'm not trying to really have discourse. I just need your help right now, giving my post a little bit of buzz. So just like comment anything that isn't, you know, stupid or flagrant or, you know, violent or something like that. Uh, but yeah, so like giving a little bit of that context and understanding where those people whose help you're seeking, where they are vis-a-vis -vis social media or whatever can help you guide them the right way so they feel comfortable supporting you yeah and you know what's crazy is like you know um so marknology turned seven this year so let's just say you know thank you seven seven years later um i'm in a position that i'm still a micro influencer right by by all means but like here in kansas city different things you simply like reposting someone now um can really help them out you know, so it's um, once you start getting a little entrepreneurial circle of friends or a network and that takes work by going to events and participating and like, you know, things like that. But once you get a small circle, um, it becomes a little bit easier to have those asks, you know, and you get in a group chat and you're like, throw your throw your post in there or like, I would love it if you guys liked it. And it just becomes this thing and they're going to throw their posts in there. And it's like, you know, it's just a way of I'm going to talk about your business and you're going to talk about mine um in, in a way in a digital world that we're collaborating um and i think i've realized that just most people want to help they just don't have 100 100 you know so I'll, 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 yeah yeah go ahead i was gonna say i want to piggyback on that a little bit with sort of a continuation of where where i went so when we launched laborless we started to grow um we started to build um you know, a little bit of a 
a little bit of a brand for ourselves, but we had very little money to spend. We were not advertising at all, right? So um, this, this is really relevant to what we were just talking about. As I was building the company in the beginning, with all like, I didn't know a lot. So I was like, oh, I want to go to Y Combinator and raise money from VCs. You know, there's like a, it's very sexy to think about that. Like there's been, that whole lifestyle has been blown up into the limelight. So at the time I also thought I want to get VC money. It's, you know, whatever. So I started doing all this research about the industry and I had already been doing a little bit because I needed context for building the, the company and selling it to prospective clients. Um, but as I was doing the research, I found it was really tough to get a ton of information about our industry. Now, remember, this is not just legal technology, which has been blowing up. This is a subset of that immigration legal technology. It's super niche. Mm -hmm. It's not sexy. It's not like a hundred billion dollar market. So there isn't like a ton of, uh, there aren't a ton of eyeballs on. There are companies that have done well, and there are some companies that have been acquired, but, and this was in 2017 uh, or 2018 rather, uh, and I was doing all this research and I was like, I'm going to start publishing this research. I'm not giving away any secrets. I'm just combining information that's already out there in a form in a centralized place that no one else is doing. And I started publishing articles on LinkedIn to just share my learnings and my knowledge. And I threw in some of my analyses and stuff in there. Um, and, and so that's when I was going to my friends. I was like, all right, guys, I promise I'm not going to ask you to do this forever. But in the beginning, I'm going to post more. Please, you know, kind of like this or comment or, or share. But the cool thing about it was that by sharing this content around my industry, I was one of the first people to do that. And so people started looking at me as immediate, almost immediately as like, a, 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 yeah, totally. 100% thought leader, nano influencer, if you will. And so I started piggybacking on that like hardcore, especially on LinkedIn. I can have a whole nother, you know, conversation with you about, about the power of, of LinkedIn right now versus some of the other platforms. But for me in the legal industry and immigration industry, it was really powerful. Um, and, and so what I ended up doing was starting to really focus almost all of my, I stopped doing outbound sales. I started focusing almost exclusively on content marketing mm -hmm. via LinkedIn. I started to duplicate it elsewhere. But the crazy thing is that if you're regardless almost of what industry, even if you're in a B2C space, which I imagine most of your you know, network is in the B2C space because of Amazon, there are still every consumer space still has like an industry publication or a niche magazine or uh, some other kind of organization that, you know, like the baseball cap association of America, like whatever. And I bet you that folks from that organization are on LinkedIn, their director of, content, their HR person, their founder, whatever, those people are all on LinkedIn. So my argument always for LinkedIn is if you can create like really high level thought leadership on that platform, even if you're not going to sell directly to people on LinkedIn, you can at the very least attract the folks who are in your industry, get on their radar. And so now if you're selling baseball caps, you know, KC baseball caps, you're going to get on, you're, you can DM the person who's like connect with them, DM the person who's, you know, head of whatever content distribution for the baseball cap association of America and be like, Hey, I started this company where I combined these two brands and like this baseball cap, super cool. We were retweeted. Like if you guys ever need content, I'd really love to share my story. And if they see your content, they see you're, you're consistent. They see you're put, putting out some information on there. They could say, sure. And then you become, you get a, 
you get that social proof of not just followers and likes, but like an established organization that can lift you up. Um, and so really that's kind of what I ended up doing with, with LinkedIn, putting a ton of information out there. I was already doing the research, um, you know, the Democrat, the, the, for you, for example, you were looking at how many people maybe were attending these events and like how many games were there at the same time for both teams and, and is there a market and, if no one's ever done that research by default, you're providing thought leadership by publishing that stuff. Um, so it, I'm, it, it yeah. definitely happened in the Amazon space. Um, a lot of the content that was coming out around because I'm a B2B service, right? That helps brands go B2C, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of times we're working with B2B brands that are now trying to step into 2021 and go B2C. Um, and there was just a lot of before the pandemic, before some of these like shifts in the market, you know, I've been doing this nine years, uh, as far as Amazon, um, there was a lot of negativity, a lot of content out there by Facebook people, a lot of content out there by Instagram ad people, a lot of, a lot of information out there by web designers, um, you know, talking about the negatives of Amazon and all the downsides to it's a monopoly. Like, well, why are we launching local brands all the time and helping them grow? Um, you know, there, it was only one side of the story getting told really. And, um, you know, in the same way that there were people putting out content, but it was more like the competition, the negative side of something. And I wanted to shine a light on how it could be like a lifeline for businesses and really help them grow. And so, you know, I was putting out a lot of content around that. And um, it wasn't just like, let me help you find a product from Bali. And then, you know, you can live there and work remote and private label something that there's a thousand others of them just like it and sell it, right? I'm trying to build brands and storytell and that's different. And there is a lot of content and YouTubers out there that are Amazon gurus or this or that, but they weren't um, speaking to the the brands of America, you know, local all the way up to the biggest brands like Adidas um, and stuff like that. You know, they, they are all facing the same challenges when it comes to Amazon. Amazon's the future and, and they need to hear somebody that can tell them what those challenges are going to be, what they need to think about, how to overcome them, how we can help them get it done, you know, and some of the results we've been seeing. So to validate your point, like literally the same strategy um, in regards to I didn't do outbound marketing. I created content. I've been creating content for years and years and years. And all there's more there's a million ways to skin a cat. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I outbound marketing can work. I like content marketing because the people that find me are the people I want to work with. Um, it's also win-win it's because when you're creating content marketing, when you're creating the content behind content marketing, you're inherently becoming more of an expert as you create that content. Um, plus, plus, if you're lucky enough to get on a panel, if you're the one doing the research for your article or your blog or interviewing someone, you have a lot of um, like effectively sound bites in your head that make you sound I mean, and you are, but really smart. Like you could say like, oh, well, did you know that 75% of B2C companies in Amazon are blah, blah, blah. Like you just knowing that confidently separates you from people who don't know that kind of thing confidently. Um, and the, the way you know that kind of information off the top of your head is by researching and writing about it. So I think it's, a, it's hugely beneficial, not just for people you're trying to reach, but also for the individual creating that content versus just like, you know, the traditional outbound marketing sounds to me like a Facebook ad campaign. Also really great. Also great. Not knocking it at all, but there's just a level of depth that's missing. And so even though you might be reaching fewer people with a longer form blog post, the connection you do make with those fewer people is much stronger and your brand then becomes much stronger. 
And you know, full scale that I owe at the in the beginning, the their team was helping me with my blogs. Like I was using them to help me get some some research. So I would kind of, um, you know, they would do, they would research the topic and then I would write it out. I didn't have time. I was doing so many things. I needed help. I wanted to be able to put out material, um, and it was like this collaboration working with someone to write because I was intimidated by by writing like that um, in a way that was going to be published. You know, now I've been published, um, you know, by some bigger bigger websites and bigger PR firms. Um, and each time it's like, Oh my God, I just got published. Um, but you know, I think that the plug here is also is the long game versus the short game. So, you know, outbound marketing, you have to pay to play and it has to be like, you have to continue to pay to get leads, continue to pay to market, continue to pay salespeople to go through all the leads because they're not qualified. Like, you know, there's a lot of money exchanged there constant. And if you turn it off, it's done. And um, content marketing is something that lasts and it actually gets stronger over time. So it's more of a long game. It's more of an investment. But, um, you know, seven years later, I couldn't be more thankful that I chose this path over the other. More so just because I didn't have money to pay for ads. Uh, But like, you know, got lucky choosing, you know, kind of this path because now we have a stability of content and thought leadership that's not going anywhere. And the other thing is that you've you created your agency after you worked in other places and did this for them and realized you can help others. So the one thing that I'll plug for on my, on my end is that as I was becoming more um, of a, I suppose, established voice, at least in, on LinkedIn around immigration technology and marketing, because I started to talk about uh, LinkedIn for immigration lawyers. Um, number one, people started coming to me and saying, hey, Roman, I, you know, I'm an immigration lawyer or I run an immigration tech company or whatever. I love your blogs. Do you know anybody who can write blogs for me like that? And I'm just like, uh, I can, <laughs> you know? And so like, okay. In the beginning, that was a side hustle as mm-hmm. I was really, as I was launching laborless, you know, we were reinvesting. It's a bootstrap tech company. We're not bringing home. We're not raking in the money, at least not yet. Um, and so, but with that, I got like one client and then two clients and then three clients. And all of a sudden, maybe this is what, you know, what you were doing at first too. You're kind of like a high level consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I ended up creating a brand around it and just kind of launched it just because I had the brand and it really blew up. And it turned out that I had tapped into a need within the market, within the particular niche that I live in, which is the immigration law space. Uh, and that need is for really smart and thoughtful digital marketing, digital content marketing support. So there are a ton of companies that write great blogs and such, but they don't understand immigration law. They don't, and if they don't understand the industry and they don't understand the subject matter, it's really hard for them to put out good stuff. Whereas I can come in and say, I know this, I know the industry, I know how to write about it because I've done it. I know how to do it successfully. And then it's like, boom, no brainer. Um, and so I ended up growing a whole nother brand called GMI rocket. GMI stands for global mobility and immigration. And we are effectively a digital marketing agency for the immigration space. I love and, that. And let me tell you another thing, because I've done that. And because I put that out about myself, people saw it. And then I was an expert in their eyes and they said, Hey, I'm teaching. So lawyers have to do what's called CLEs, continuing legal education, like nurses, I think uh, medical professionals, some have to do like continuing education credits, you know, every year, every two years, you got to re up. Um, so a lot of them have to do with legal and policy changes and, and stuff, but others, others are about like practice management. You know, how do you market yourself better, blah, blah, blah. So people started seeing my content and they saw I launched this agency and they're like, Hey, Roman, can you come and talk on this panel about 
digital marketing for immigration lawyers. And so you can see where the snowball happens because now I get on the panel, I have, now I can put on my profile, I've spoken on this thing. And then the people who saw me there see me on LinkedIn and then they're like, oh, that's the same guy. And it just like, it propels itself. And at some point you realize that all of the effort you've been putting into the content, into the, into your, you know, the, the blood, sweat and tears into your research, et cetera, um, starts to really pay off. Uh, and I think this goes for literally any industry. It can go for any industry, B2B or B2C. Um, you can become a thought leader through your content and eventually you will hit a point where it starts to like feed itself. You know, like if for people who are in quarantine right now doing their, uh, um, their uh, what's it called? Sourdough starters. You know, you kind of put all the stuff in there and it just kind of starts, exp- you put it in the fridge, you yeah. sit on the couch and it expands. I think that that's kind of what starts to happen once you hit an inflection point of, touch points with the industry and good enough content a tipping point and um man we are just on the same page in the way that our companies have you know been birthed uh one thing that was like out of that content where you're being asked to write is i really realized how much i knew how much of an expert i actually was i gained confidence because i'm like you can look at all these companies that look big they've got great blogs like i I have blogs written on my competitor sites, right? Like uh, as a ghostwriter or a co- contributor, yep. um, I don't care, right? I'm, I'm everywhere and in my mindset. It was like, I'm getting content out written by me everywhere. Um, and it was also like, when I looked at those sites, I was like, they don't have anything that I don't have. They're literally asking me to write for them, right? Yep. And, and in some ways it was like, um, not, not to say anything against them. It was more so stop comparing myself to all these other, these other sites, these other companies, these other agencies, because trust me, there's a million marketing agencies or branding agencies bigger than mine, you know, more robust, bigger clients. Um, and for me, it was like, yeah, but they're still asking me to write content. They're still mm-hmm. asking me to come speak about PPC or, and you're right. It was like this kind of tipping point, um, when all that content starts, starts paying off. So it wasn't just a side hustle. It was, um, a validation thing. It was like, you actually are becoming an expert, like don't fake it and it won't be a problem. You know, anyone having a problem with that, I think it's that you're not wanting to put in the work and the research, you know, to put something like that together. Um, but even getting somebody to help me find some articles like to get published and like, you know, they're saying, Hey, here's an article you can write. Well, now I have to go research the damn thing, make sure I'm correct. Uh, make sure my information's right, you know, um, and put this together and you're right. It does. You learn along the way. Um, and yeah, to anyone like that's just listening and, and I would just say, be encouraged, like don't shy away from the work. Um, just start putting content out there and people recognize consistency, you know, like, um, it's never, you know, I've had people follow me along on social media or like LinkedIn. I've never said a word for like five years, you know, but it doesn't mean that they're not like, they're not there. They're not listening. They're not sharing my name or my company with, you know, um, you don't know. You just don't know what's going on and, and like what that reach is. And um, I know we're getting we're getting on the hour and this has just been fire. I feel like this has been fire convo for anyone that's like, you know, really knowing how do you build a B2B business? Like we're talking the basics right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but this is the magic. And um, where can people find you? I've got your I've got your website here pulled up laborless.io, but I know there's another one and um, you have your own podcast as well. I do. Yes. I'm, I'm similar, but for the immigration space. Uh, yeah. Um, laborless.io is my company. We're actually doing a, I mean, I don't know when this is the podcast is going to air, but we're doing a rebrand, which I'm super pumped about. Um, laborless.io is the immigration tech company. GMIRocket.com 
is um, for now a landing page because I'm literally right now, as we're recording this, uh, in the middle of building out that company um, or that website rather. That's going to have links to my uh, podcast. Um, I do a live stream every Friday night with immigration tech founders and entrepreneurs in the space. Super inspiring, I think, for anybody, but truly for immigration lawyers who want to learn about the CEOs behind the big tech companies they use but really don't know all that much about. Um, and these people are also really awesome. Um, so all that stuff is going to be there. I have a Slack community that I've built, you know, where people talk about this kind of stuff. Um, and like, of course, my kind of digital marketing services for the immigration industry, it's all going to be there. So, uh, but best place to find me would be LinkedIn from a social standpoint, Roman Zelichenko. Um, I mean, I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well. And like TikTok once in a while and Clubhouse, but LinkedIn is my go-to. Well, I just got into Clubhouse. I'm gonna have to figure it out. I feel like uh, pandemic has made me um, shy away from just engaging with random strangers. You never know if you're gonna get along or not these days. Um, so I've been like just a little hesitant to get in there and just start chatting entrepreneurship. But I I know I'm gonna get in there and learn it. I know that that's a big way to cross you know cross market. So you guys heard it. He's basically everywhere. Um, I would start on LinkedIn. I'm definitely going to follow you on LinkedIn. I want to see what you're putting out and see what I can learn from you. And I might need to have you back on just to talk LinkedIn. I think that's a really, really big one. Um, I built my apparel gram, uh, my apparel, uh, you know, company based off of my personal Instagram back you know, when I was learning and, you know, now it's got its own legs. Um, but I've put a lot of energy into LinkedIn, um, over the last probably 18 months. Um, you know, it, my businesses, I've just always been super busy. So, you know, it hasn't been, it's been like, okay, we need to market like, you know, and it's just been like put out content and the business has come. So, um, once you get your head out of the uh, head above water, sometimes it's like, okay, where should I focus? And LinkedIn is yeah. definitely worth your time. Um, if you're trying to build a B2B business. LinkedIn, if I could just give it one quick 30 second plug, the organic reach on LinkedIn is still huge. Uh, meaning you can put out content and have people who you are not connected with see it without sponsoring it. In fact, you can't, I mean, like other platforms, you can't sponsor posts from a personal profile. It has yeah. to be from your company profile. So LinkedIn organic is still really amazing. Um, it continues to be that they're lagging in lot in like their stories functionality. They just released it, but it's like crappy compared to, you know, Snapchat or Instagram or whatever. Um, but it's there. They're really trying, but I think because they're lagging, this, the algorithm, I mean, I don't want to jinx myself here, but the algorithm is still super favorable. They do a great job. And it's like a really thoughtful place. You don't really get a lot of trolls. You don't get a lot of assholes. You get people, sometimes if you talk about something hyper-political, um, and I'm in the immigration space, so it sometimes might get political. But for the most part, there's just a lot of really good content and a lot of really supportive people. So if you're in the B2B space, for sure. But again, even in the B2C space, where figure out what you're selling Think about that object and what the B side of that object or that product is. Again, surfboards, like what's the surfboard company? What's the magazine? Like what's the association? Those people are probably on LinkedIn in their professional capacity. Go after them, even if you're a B2C person. Go after them as a B2B marketing content. With Sorry, go after them with B2B content, and that will trickle down to helping your B2C brand. 
You heard it, guys. Roman, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, we'll have all of his links uh, in the YouTube and when, when the episodes go live. So if you guys missed that or you're driving when you listen, like we'll have all the links there so they can follow you. Um, really nice to meet you and hope to stay connected. I'm going to find you on LinkedIn. I have to have you back just to talk some LinkedIn so I can learn some stuff. Um, have a great day and uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>